Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop gross dead in his tracks. I am your host, Dave Darrington. And I'm Adam Evermescu playing the piano from across the room. And everything is in its right place. That's right. All right. Why, why are we playing music? All right, Adam. Well, we're getting into the holiday season here, and that means it's a chance for us to take some time with our families and reflect on the year. In fact, we're going to be reflecting on the entire decade. Uh, it means it's also a chance for us to let our hair down and have a little fun. So for this episode and our last for 2019, we're going to talk about something that is both close and personal to both me and to Adam. That's right, Dave. So as we're recording this, we are getting very close to the year 2020, which seems impossibly futuristic. In totally. fact, this episode might get released in 2020, uh, according to our release schedule. So it's only proper that Dave and I bonded over a band that embraced futurism over 20 years ago. Radiohead. Yay. Yeah. Now, as it turns out, both Dave and I count Radiohead among our very favorite bands. This is something that we bonded over uh, pretty early in getting to know each other, uh, maybe over beers, I don't remember. Uh, and for those of you unfamiliar with the band, they're a five-piece experimental rock band from Oxford, UK, who have been releasing albums for, uh, I, I said they embraced futurism over 20 years ago, but they've actually been recording for longer than that. They've been releasing albums for nearly 30 years, Dave. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, they have the staying power of the Beatles and, and other great classic bands. I would agree. So, Dave, how did you first get into Radiohead? Um, I think it's a great story, Adam. So at the time, I let's let's roll back. Not to, not to pat yourself too far on the back. <laughs> it, no, it's a, it's a fun story. So, what was it? 1993. I was uh, actually I had just quit my my first job and had a new job. I was working in a small uh, environmental laboratory in Kentucky, of all places, and moving back to St. Louis. And I was driving back to St. Louis, which was, was where I was born and raised. And I had heard Creep on the radio for the first time. And it was uh, 105.7 The Point in St. Louis. Um, this is one of those songs that just gripped me in a way. I couldn't get it out of my head. And I kept saying, this is, this is amazing. It, I bought the CD immediately after that. I was hooked on the band. And why? More, what got me into it, it was it was cerebral, it was complex, and it spoke to me in some way, because if you think about the, the lyrics of Creep, I mean, I guess yeah. at least in, in some, some of us in, in our generations now coming to pass are, are, are more self-deprecating, you know, we're, we, we, we look at our foibles and we try to adapt in the world. It just, it just spoke to me, it resonated really well. So how about you? What was it that really gripped you the first time? Well... Radiohead was one of the first bands that I was I was truly a fan of in, in a really deep and personal way. And, and in fact, um, in high school, I played in a band that I uh, also wrote the songs for and sang for, which I would describe as our our school's uh, first and foremost Radiohead knockoff. 
<laughs> so it was fun. We were doing like, uh, you know, concept albums. We were, you know, singing these very uh, melodic, uh, tuneful songs that were also introspective. But uh, I, we weren't very good. Maybe maybe if we get enough listeners, uh, we'll do a special where we, we play some clips from from my old high school band. But <laughs> uh, you know, Radiohead's probably the band that I've I've seen the most live. Uh, they have an amazing live show. I've gone to get tickets to see them almost any time that they were in town. And uh, yeah, just just a, a band that's very close and personal. Cool. All right. So let let's get to the point of this show. Now we reflected on our our past and our love of music. We want to pay tribute to these two things that we love and merge them in some way. So we both love Radiohead, and we both love and are passionate about customer education. And we want to think about what Radiohead can teach us about our field. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of kicking back today and having a little fun. But there is value in creative thinking like this. So often in our field, we get stuck in patterns of what we should do or mm-hmm. how we do things the right way. And if you can't hear my air quotes, I'm <laughs> making those scare quotes. So it's, it's helpful to take inspiration from other things. And that helps us break out of our usual patterns. In fact, I'm reading a book right now called Range that talks about the value of generalist knowledge and applying a multi- uh, multidisciplinary approach to problems. It makes you more creative and it makes you uh, more of a whole person in some ways. That's really cool. And you know, my personal narrative, I would never have gotten the idea to do customer education like I did at Azuqua over Twitch if I weren't also big into things like gaming, you know. So I totally agree with this. We're we're always thinking we have to think obliquely or in parallel or, you know, like in different we have to dip into different worlds. Sometimes it's great to break out of the box. Yeah, just like there are so many learning programs today who uh, are starting to call themselves like, hey, can we be the Netflix of customer education? I want to challenge someone to be the radio head of customer education. Oh, that might be us. We'll see. Okay. Maybe. Dave, do we need a hypothesis for today? Yeah, sure. Um, Absolutely. I think we'll be testing whether Radiohead can, in fact, teach us something about customer education. So let's go ahead. Let's try to, to, to prove or refute this hypothesis and dive right in. Uh, I, I hope we make this an annual tradition. <laughs> a different, different band every year? Yeah, or a different something every year. Just getting creative and uh, figuring out what we can talk about without running into uh, copyright law. All right. Call to action for uh, 20, end of 2020. Let's go for it. Yeah, tell us what you want. Okay, cool. So let's, uh, let's maybe frame this around a few Radiohead songs that are really meaningful to us and maybe significant for the band as well. So I think the first lesson we can learn is from the song that you mentioned earlier, Creep. Mm-hmm. And I think the lesson that we learn here, and we'll, we'll explore this, is the importance of standing out and being memorable in your program. So just for some background here, Radiohead could have been a one-hit wonder. There are a lot of people who still know them. When you say Radiohead, they know them as that 90s band because of this hit that they had in 1992 that kind of rode the grunge era's coattails. And that song was called Creep. Yeah, and it, it just going a little bit further into that, here's, here's the first lesson that I think we could take away from it. Memorable moments really matter. And, and Creep, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a standard song right up, kind of like a lot of Radiohead songs, right, Adam? Yeah, it's right. like a very standard progression. Like it's like a one, minor three, four, five. There's nothing special about it. No, it, right before the chorus where Johnny Greenwood, who's a guitarist, starts really throwing in some 
really ugly guitar crunches. Yeah. Try, try to do a clip of that if we can. I don't know if you do do that on the piano. I can't um, do it on the piano, but but go listen to the song. Pull it up on uh, Spotify. Maybe pause us for a moment. Go over to Spotify, listen to the song Creep, and you, you're going to hear this point right before the chorus. It sounds very pretty, very melodic, and then all of a sudden you're going to hear this crunch like, chugga, chugga. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like you're hitting something. Well, he physically is because yeah, you know Johnny Greenwood is known for his really aggressive style of play on the, on the guitar. In contrast to you know the wonderful, beautiful melodic stuff that he does too, and that that disparity. I mean, that's that's kind of like tipping and in, dipping into neuroscience, right? It's memorable because now you're you're gosh, you've got my my emotions stirred up, and I can't not think about this. You know, people. Uh, wasn't it in here he was actually trying to ruin the song because he thought it would it was just so plain Jane generic and he wanted to give it more personality yeah because the band at that time was a little more grungy a little more of its era Um, Johnny Greenwood very very artsy uh, creative guy very high uh, ambitions about how he uh, comports himself. And in fact, you can hear some of his soundtrack work and uh, he's, he's clearly a genius, but I think he thought this song was probably beneath the band and that they were selling out. So he was trying to ruin it. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, memorable moments, right? Most people, uh, when they remember this song, they might remember the lyrics from the chorus. Obviously choruses are very memorable moments, but what a lot of people remember are these guitar crunches. So what we have to remember as customer education professionals is in our content, People aren't always going to remember the whole song, so to speak. But what they will remember is memorable moments. Yeah, and here's something from my own story um, when I'm making content. And go go back a little bit. Like at Gainside, I was pretty vanilla. And some personality came through. But a lot of times when we're preparing videos and such, we're going by a script. And we're kind of speaking somewhat drab, you know, and, and... not monotone, but in this lesson, you will learn how to in a robot. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I did at Azuka that I thought was interesting is that I did a lot more marketing, marketing e type videos. And I really worked on my dynamic vocal range in talking. And I tried to do things and interject things that were showing my personality. And that, that puts me in a position of vulnerability because somebody can say, what the heck are you doing? But People wake up. People see that. Even if you don't like it, that interjection of personality um, is an opportunity for education. And you know, sh- it's it's interesting. You've got your own flavor. And sharing things like learning objectives in your first slide is just like basic four chord songwriting. So so what we're saying here is that in in these memorable moments can be stirred up by all kinds of things. The emotional emotional nature of it, your own personality. You're a human being. Your customers are a human being. It's okay to be a little vulnerable and show yourself off. Yeah, I, I agree. Often when, if I'm ever in the position to write the first version of an academy, uh, like I did at Optimizely and at Checker, I usually I, I usually put in a few little cheeky comments to, to give it a little <laughs> more personality. And some people are like, oh, was that just to, to check whether we were paying attention? I'm like, no, it's to show you that this is written by a human who's talking to you as a human. Yeah, um, I think cool. I think Slack does this very well in in our marketing copy and our product copy as well. It's awesome. Yeah. So we have another lesson to learn, I think, from Creep, which is don't rest on your laurels. Mm. In customer education, we we do this quite a bit, and and maybe this one isn't customer education specific, but it's also just a good life lesson. Radiohead could have continued making music that sounded like it was from the early '90s, and 
it probably would have flamed out as a one-hit wonder. People knew them as a one-hit wonder for a really long time. They but weren't. What mo- that what? Well, they weren't. I mean, they'd been producing other things. You just heard one song. Well, that's, I mean, a lot of one-hit wonders are that way. Uh, think about, like, Midnight Oil. Beds are burning. Mm-hmm. They're a one-hit mm-hmm. wonder. Mm-hmm. But those guys have a super extensive catalog. Or even Chumbawamba. You know, everyone knows them for uh, I Get Knocked Down. But those guys have, like, 30 then, albums. Get, uh, yeah. That's crazy. They're deeply political. And Radiohead could have been that, right? But, but what most fans really love them for isn't their first album. It's the experimentation that they did later in their catalog, yeah. where they started to embrace electronics and ambient music uh, and trip-hop before a lot of rock bands did. And they were playing with song structures in really interesting ways. Well, that, uh, the, So I, I think I told this to you, but I definitely haven't told it to the audience. Um, I had originally started university as a dual major in music and physics. And I... I still love music, and I, I stayed in music for so long, and it just really, it, this really excites me, that experimental nature, because I'm a scientist, so I like experimentation, but I love music, and that experimentation, you know, one of the things that I really dig is I, I was a blues musician, I went to a blues, I love improv and jazz and stuff like that, and, you know, the albums that many say is their best, and we're just getting back into the Radiohead thing, is probably OK Computer, wouldn't you agree? I would agree. That's that's one of my favorites, and I think yours too. Yeah. Yeah, and it was an inflection point. They, if you really look, you sit down and you take your library of all your Radiohead stuff. I got it all on my my phone. Uh, you can see the progression of them trading their more traditional guitar rock for more diverse instrumentation and strong structures, and uh, you know they traded that sad sack kind of grungy crap not crap yeah i was like oh i'm sad you know life is is bummer i mean they were post-college at that point and like really getting into reality and they started trading that in for some thoughtful commentary on oh my god i mean adam you and i and a lot of our audience have grown up in this era of technology that's why we're in this market of customer education which is all about technology and in 97 this was way way cutting edge and if i were to go on i would say that next album Kid A, they did it again. They completely, and this is something I really just, I'm super passionate about and why I love Radiohead. It's like they go, okay, we did that, done. We're moving on. We're going to do something completely different. And they went back to their music theory and their blue books and they started to figure it out. Um, In that, they were a completely electronic ambient sound. Um, They included indirect cut-up, impressionistic lyrics, that don't sometimes even add up. And it's like, what in the hell am I listening to? And I love it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's almost like, a, it's, it's like expressionist painting in some ways. It doesn't tell, a, a, you know, you go from the band in 1994 singing uh, I'm Better Off Dead as a chorus, right? Tom York is standing in front of a, a crowd who's all singing this back at him and he realizes, oh my gosh, like, is this the message I want to be sending into the world? Completely reinvents themselves singing about technology on OK Computer, uh, and then, yeah, then they're basically an ambient band by 2000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, what, six years, I think? Yeah. For a band to rapidly reinvent themselves that quickly, it's not unheard of. I mean, if you look at six years in David Bowie's career, another uh, one of my very favorite artists of all time, you're going to see something very similar. And in fact, even the Beatles between uh, 1964 and 1970, basically every song you know from them is is within that time period from all those different genres. Certainly. But in general, it seems like reinvention is a way to stay fresh and creative and challenge yourself. Yeah, and it's necessary. Yeah. So what, what does that say about customer education, Dave? 
Well, as we know it, and, and again, I have to pull back again and, and reframe this because, Adam, what you and I and others that are in space right now are doing is really framing up what this customer ed- education thing actually means. It's new, but, customer, but education services and learning and development are things that have been around forever. And there's lots of received wisdom from people who aren't being brave and experimenting with new approaches. Don't be like them. Be like Radiohead. Would you, would you agree with that? I would love to be like Radiohead. Yeah. All right. So we've been talking a little bit here about OK Computer. So let's let's dive in a little more. For So for our second song, we're going to talk about a song called Airbag, which is the first track on OK Computer. But we might mm-hmm. talk about OK Computer a little more in general as well. And I think the theme here, sort of like we've been talking about, is dealing with change and technology. Yeah. So as we mentioned, OK Computer is probably our favorite album, both of ours. And part of the reason why it's a lot of people's favorite is that the music really balances that guitar-driven sound that Radiohead started with mm-hmm. with more layered production and instrumentation. Um, their producer, uh, producer uh, Nigel Godrich, an amazing producer. He's also done work for Beck um, and countless other bands. But it really helps them, even though they continue to switch from genre to genre, helps them continue to sound like the same band. But this is a big step forward for a band who basically was a guitar rock band, and now they were embracing sampling, and there were there were trip hop songs on there, and that's noteworthy in itself. Because if you're passionate about innovation, you know, try it out. Radiohead wasn't the first band making this type of music. They were um, they were taking cues from other bands they were listening to at the time, other artists like uh, DJ Shadow, mm-hmm. right? But but they were never afraid to embrace new genres and also make it their own, make it sound like Radiohead, too. Yeah, I, I remember seeing some bootleg stuff with DJ Shadow uh, partnering with Radiohead and making some really trippy-type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think they uh, what they did that collaboration on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if I'm out of place right now in saying this, but I, I recall buying an album that was called like everybody can play Radiohead and it was a whole bunch of other artists covering Radiohead songs in slightly different ways uh, and then they opened up what was it the one of their albums to the public domain and then all, uh, other artists had done you know done some really incredible remixing with all of their lyrics it, wh- who was the who was the artist a rap musician did that do you, re- do you recall that um, who opened all the al- albums up for sampling uh, Radiohead did, and then another. They partnered with another. With another, I'll have to look that up. Oh, okay, we can yeah, strike I don't. That. I don't know that one either. All right, but but anyway, for this album, what we really want to talk about, Adam, is lyrics. Um, most people will say that this album is about technology, and a name, yeah. And technology shows up throughout, and it contains songs about technology, past, present, and future, androids, alien spacecraft, automatic trams, cell phones, and that was still new in 97. And there's B-sides about Palo Alto. Now, that's heart of Silicon Valley, right? Right before the founding of Facebook. And talk about chemistry, polyethylene plastic. Polyethylene. I love that song. Um, But just as much as about the way technology affects people and their modern lives yeah so let's let's hone in for a moment on Ooh, i just said hone in that's one of my least favorite things it's home in okay this is gonna be, edu- this is gonna be grammar corner home in is the correct phrase 
That's like uh, like a homing missile. It homes in on something. Mm-hmm. Hone is like what you do, like whittling. It's like you hone a piece of wood. Yeah, you're not going to do like espresso, espresso too, huh? But yeah, we can do that one too. Anyway, okay. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Radiohead would want to be prescriptive, but uh, I'm going to be prescriptive. <laughs> okay, so let's let's home in on the first song on the album, "Airbag." So here we're talking about technology, but we're talking about a piece of technology that wouldn't have been futuristic at all when the album was released, right? The airbag was old hat in 1997. Yeah. But let's take a a listen, and by a listen, I mean I will will say the lyrics, um, to some of of the first lyrics of the album. And maybe, Dave, you can can give a little interpretation. Okay. First lyric. In the next world war, in a jackknife juggernaut, I am born again. What's Tom York saying here? Well... So this is airbag, and what he's describing is this massive semi-tractor trailer that's bent and gnarled itself into an accident. Yeah, like jackknifed is is when something gets uh, basically like bent into, and I think juggernaut is just British for a semi-trailer. Mm-hmm. Okay, in a fast German car, I'm amazed that I survived. An airbag saved my life. Yeah, that's... It. When I, I listen to the song and I listen to the lyrics. I'm like, oh my God, he's talking about something very real and like a, a personal experience getting into a car wreck on, on the Autobahn or the interstate or whatever you, you would call it in, the, in your cultural uh, milieu. It's, it's really interesting. And it's, it's really not, it's not mundane. It's really scary. Yeah, it's, it's having that moment of realizing that without this technology, he wouldn't be alive. That's, that's pretty deep, right? Yeah, that's really deep. So, I mean, those are those are kind of futuristic lyrics. He's talking about some sort of future wartime, right? The next world war mm-hmm. from his vantage point in 1997, uh, which was very peaceful. So that's almost prescient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 2001 wasn't, wasn't that much longer afterwards. But he's talking about how, if not for this piece of technology, he wouldn't be able to have this moment where he's thankful to be alive. It's dark, it's deep, but it still manages to be hopeful. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and you know that same album also goes on, like we said before, to talk about androids, talk about aliens, talk about dystopian governments. Uh, Tom York is writing lyrics about how everyday technology affects us as humans, and we and we can take two things away from this, and then we're coming back into the world of customer education, as we tend to. Yeah, it's when we should. It's, it's what it's called, you know, C Lab Customer Education Podcast. But I digress. Be the Radiohead Lab. Hmm. Yeah, that's too close to Radio Lab. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, how about next year we'll do uh, all Stereo Lab songs? We'll be the Stereo Lab Lab. Ooh. Okay. Well, I, maybe we'll go Daft Punk, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, here's here's one thing. Um, no matter what technology comes along in the world of customer education, we're talking current technologies like money management systems, you know, DApps, XAPI, emerging talking. Emerging technologies like AI, machine learning, VR, and so on, we shouldn't get too obsessed with the emerging technology and what might come in the future, such that we forget how real everyday technology affects us and our learners, right? Yeah, like don't just sing about the Android, sing about the airbag. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think we could take from this is that what's interesting about technology. And, and this is true for the tech we use as learning professionals, like you were just talking about. Yeah. It's also especially true for those of us doing customer education for tech products, is that the tech itself is not the most important part. 
What's important about the tech is the human stories behind it. Tech matters only as much as it affects the people using it. So OK Computer is aged incredibly well, not just because of the fresh production, Nigel Godrich, all those great um, memorable uh, guitar and keyboard lines, but because there isn't a lot of dated speculation about what the future technology will be like. Like there's a Billy Idol album called Cyberpunk that has not aged well at all because he's describing uh, a future that just never came to pass, right? So it sounds really dated. But this Radiohead album, it's about people's reactions to technology. Are they thankful? Are they depressed? Are they optimistic? That's what matters in the songwriting. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And something I really like about this as well is that, okay, let, let, let's just go down to brass tacks. We have this continually expanding palette of tools at our disposal. And I think that's something that we can, and I know I do, uh, you get kind of stayed and, and uh, you know, monotone in the palette that you tend to use. That's why at Azuqua, I broke out of that box and said, let's try this Twitch thing that I've played with for gaming. You want to do something. We, we can try new things and reach people in new and novel, interesting ways or not. We, we really want to make things exciting, like the reference I have about Twitch. It's not anything new. These like for let's let's dive into the the Twitch platform. Twitch is a video platform and it's wrapped around internet relay chat, right? They've kind of dusted it off and embedded it in there and they've made this really slick interface. Nothing there is new. It's just a way that is delivered and all the the mechanisms behind it that makes it so compelling and interesting to work with. So this changes how we do education. Something that just came to mind, too, is going back to uh, Michael Allen. And, uh, and one of the things I was reading in his, his, one of his books, uh, I don't remember the, the name of the book off the top of my head right now, but he was talking about um, making e-learning for the very first time on computers and how they had very limited resources. You know, bandwidth was low. The processor was, was very weak. Memory was limited. And still they made these amazing, engaging things uh, e-learning experiences out of this technology, even though it was limited. And it was really cool because it's the first time anybody can do it, but it still had to be done right. You can't you know, just go into something and just try to see what sticks on the wall without having some failure. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can only imagine that a lot of that was before my time. I wasn't, I wasn't there during the, uh, the floppy disk era of, <laughs> of e-learning, but you know, think think about this, right? Like uh, 1997. This is when this album is being recorded. Right. Uh, what did e-learning look like in 1997? Gosh, I can't many even, of you remember yeah. who are listening. <laughs> it, it was definitely not anywhere like it is today. It, you know, it was a lot more slow, hard to do. I mean, I, I remember seeing some some training content online. It was just kind of it kind of sucked. Yeah. And uh, the world is so much different now. But that album remains fresh and uh, has stood the test of time. So I think that takes us then to our our third one is actually two songs that I think are kind of in conversation with each other. But Mm -hmm. we'll use them both as as examples. The first is a song off the 2001 album Amnesiac. It's called Pyramid Song. And the other one is a song off the 2000... Mm, I'm going to get this wrong. 2007 or 2008 album in Rainbows. It'd be oh, nice Rainbows, if I actually yeah. wrote down what year that uh, album was released. It's okay. Fans will know. 
You can Google fans it. Fans will know. The true fans will know. Uh, <laughs> only true Radiohead fans will know. Uh, anyway, I think both of these show us the power of schema. Yeah. So let's go back to the year 2000, right? We talked about Kid A being this second big reinvention for Radiohead. Mm-hmm. And in 2000 and 2001, Radiohead released both Kid A and its uh, sister album, Amnesiac. They were two albums recorded during the same sessions. They could have been released as a double album if they wanted to, but they, they showed remarkable restraint in not doing that. But both really marked that radical departure from their rock roots. The albums as a whole mostly abandoned the guitar sound that the band was known for in favors of synths and electronics and ambient sounds. Uh, they had this crazy instrument called the On Martineau, which was, I think, like the world's earliest synth, something like that. Yeah. But one of the most well-remembered songs from this era is called Pyramid Song. It's a plodding piano ballad where Tom York sings angelically about a dreamlike state. Again, it's very impressionistic. Mm -hmm. And to make the song even more dreamlike, it's not just the lyrics and the way that he's singing. It's also the music. The song is in a very irregular time signature. It's very difficult to count. And to prove that, um, I'm going to play it. Do it. On the piano. And I want to see listeners. Let's see if you can count along with this song. We're going to have to get out our, our time signature counting and clapping like we did in, um, you know, early band. Yeah, exactly. Well, so let's, let's actually, before, before I play it, let's talk about musical counting for people oh, who aren't yeah, uh, let's musicians, do that. right? Like, I'll take how, do you, how, do you, how do you count music, Dave? Yeah, so most songs traditionally, and again, those of you who had a band experience or played a piano or what have you, most songs have a 4-4 beat. You know, it's one Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Okay. Oh, I was going to. Hey, we we did Monty Python covers in marching band one year when I went to Mizzou, University of Missouri, Columbia, and we did the whole. You know, it was not not Monty Python. It was John Philip Sousa, but you remember them for Monty Python, and we would do those kind of things. It was fabulous. But anyway, the point is. It's a 4-4 time. You know, the quarter note gets, gets the beat, and there's four notes in a measure. Yeah, and so you go one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And almost any pop song you can count in 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, almost anyone. But play this one, Adam, and let's okay. see if you, the audience, can pick up what that, what that signature actually is. good beautiful do you want me to play it again no do you want to try to count it again no just rewind your your player has that (laughs) yeah just go back 15 seconds do it again what do you think that time signature is folks we can't get your response in there but but just just think about how you might even try to count that that didn't sound like uh, anything you've heard before, right? Yeah, it's it's like I I'm not seeing where the clear demarcations. So it sounds to me like there's many different 
time signatures in there. Yeah, or what you might call mixed meter. And that's how a lot of people interpret the song. So what was uh, the... They think, so mixed, mixed meter is like when you might have like a measure of three and then a measure of four and then a measure of three or something like that, right? So you could count it as... Uh, one, two, three, one, two. one, two, three, four, five. But that's actually not how the song is counted exactly, is it? No. It sounds like it's irregular or in mixed meter because Radiohead is actually obscuring the time signature from you. They're being cheeky. How they <laughs> count monkey. the song is not how you hear the song because it's moving so slowly and by the time the drums come in, you're super confused because you've already been counting it in a weird way or not counting it. So you're mostly just confused by that point. Yeah. If you speed up the song, have you ever listened to the song Sped Up, Dave? Uh, I, I've listened to that, uh, that uh, YouTube channel where they take Radiohead songs and slow them down by 800 times, but I haven't seen the sped up version of it. Okay. I mean, the, the slowed down ones are fun too. But <laughs> let's... Well, you can, you can definitely go to YouTube and, and uh, search for Pyramid Song Sped Up. But let me, let me give you uh, an opportunity. I'll, I'll just play it on the piano again and see if you can figure out what's going on here. course I played a little beat in there as well so you could hear the actual tempo of the song but if you listen to the song sped up it's actually the exact same rhythm yeah that's really that's really cool so you start to hear it's in 4-4 well yeah it, it, it actually 4-4 with a twist because if you look out and do your research it's it's kind of a it, you remember the term swing eights, jazz? Yeah, it's 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 swung. It's swung yeah. four four. Some people might even call it twelve eight. But so it's, you might you might well no, it's not a shuffle beat. But it's kind of a swung. Yeah, so you you might count it like if you ever hear a jazz song where mm-hmm. the beat's going like, it's almost got that kind of beat going. Yeah, so it if you if you bring it back, it sounds irregular. They're obscuring the time signature. It's actually 4-4 down underneath and and the and the thing about this is the thing about this band that i love so much actually when i think about it genesis and if you're a fan of genesis too but you know genesis had songs like apocalypse and seven four and all these weird three four you know nine fours time signatures and the, the that that irregularity that that bizarreness and that obscuring the the fundamental you know rhythm is it, it really taps into your dopamine network. It's just yeah, really you, cool. You, you occasionally hear some songs that really manage to get into the groove of an irregular time signature. Like I think one of the the uh, the most obvious ones that I can think of is uh, the Mission Impossible theme. Dun 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 dun. How do you count that? One two three four five. One two three four five. One two three four five. Yeah. Anyway, so Radiohead's obscuring the actual beat for, from you. And this isn't the only time in their career that they've done this. They've done this multiple times. So on M Rainbows, which uh, now that I'm looking at my notes, was released in 2007. Mm-hmm. They Good do job. something similar. 
Thank you. I researched this one. Uh, they do something similar on a song called Videotape. Now, you can actually see a video on YouTube called The Secret Rhythm Behind Radiohead's Videotape, where they give a much more in-depth breakdown of this than we'll give on, on this podcast. But they try to unravel the mystery of why, during a live performance, Tom York can't seem to start playing piano at the right time. You, now, you, you uh, reminded me of this clip too, Dave, right? Yeah, I watched it actually not that long ago, and, and he really struggled. And he basically like, no, no, just wait, just stop. And it's like, all right, give, give me a beat. Give me a beat. And the drummer started to tap it out. And then he's like nodding his head. And, just, and then finally he gets on it, and he's, he's with it. But it took him a while, and he had to actually, and that, that, that's a real vulnerability right there when you stop a concert. And he's like, I can't, I need a moment. That was really cool. Yeah, definitely a moment of, of really strong vulnerability. Um, and then and then you watch them actually playing the song, and then you look over there, and Colin Greenwood, who's usually the bassist, but I think on this song he's playing some sort of uh, little synth, He's he looks like he's at a rave. He's he's <laughs> dancing to this really slow, plodding song in a way that seems super energetic. But it doesn't mash up with what's actually happening, the music that's coming out. Yeah, like, here, I'll play I'll play what the song sounds like. That doesn't sound like a fast song, does it? No, not at all. It's pretty... That doesn't. That also doesn't sound like a song that would be very hard to play, does it? <laughs> no, not on the surface. But tell us I more. I mean, aside from the fact that if you, uh, we'll, we'll put some outtakes in there. It, it took me three tries to figure that one out. But uh, why was it so hard for Tom York to get the beat on that? It's just going one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, but let's let's go to our jazz playbook here. You know what's really happening underneath the hood. That's that's strange to say in a musical context. It's syncopated, and that yeah. means that when the piano is playing, it's not playing at the same time as the beat. It's playing off the beat, as one would say. That's and and if you were going to listen to an earlier version of the song when they first started prototyping, that's why I li- really love the band because you could find these things and the the one that's you know nice and sanitized as as much as Radiohead gets, it, the is a, a more marketing version of the song as it started out and it evolved and iterated upon. And if you listen to that original version of the song, you can hear much more clearly what the piano is actually doing. Under the hood, you you can listen to that song hundreds of times, and and you know we have, and still not notice what's going on in the beat. You know, the piano's going one, two, three, four, and your brain is going one, two, three, four. But there's really the and and or the you know whatever indi- micro part of it underneath there. You don't realize yeah. that actual rhythm. What's that? Yeah, there's there's a secret melody. There's an actual rhythm hiding yeah. in plain sight. Yeah. Um, here, let me let me try. I'll play it on the I'll play it on the piano and see if I can capture the beat here on the bass so people can hear. Yeah. 
actual rhythm is hiding in plain sight now when he exposes that the bass part of it, which is on the beat. And this and that's why you saw Tom struggling so much because his brain got to thinking like your brain would, and you're actually thinking the one, two, three is on the beat that he's playing, whereas it's not. And that's here's yeah. the lesson. Here's a lesson. This shows the power of, as Adam said, the schema. And often as customer educators, we, we sit down and we're working and we're doing this again right now with our new companies. You're, you're working with subject matter experts. They have such deep knowledge of your product and what you're trying to do that they often forget what it's like to learn the subject for the first time. So I start leaving out details and assumptions and that starts me, that means that someone learning for the very first time it can't keep up. They're, they're advanced and, and thinking about the syncopation and really what's happening under the hood is, no, there's, there's, a, there's a meter underneath all that. Um, and it's almost like that SME is hearing a beat in their head, but that doesn't come over and translate to the learner. And it sounds not like the beat they're actually playing, but the beat they'd expect to hear. Yeah, like the learner is hearing one, two, mm-hmm. three, four, and then Colin Greenwood is over there just dancing, dancing his heart out because he's hearing right because that's that's the beat. He can hear it. That's the actual beat of the song. Now, okay, Radiohead gets to play with our expectations like this because they are a willfully obtuse rock band that has sold millions of albums. They get to call the shots. They they released on this exact same album that Videotape is on in Rainbows. They released it with a pay what you want. Model again, Radiohead innovating. Um, they can challenge us to listen more deeply because they're making art and entertainment. Now, for our field, where learners probably wouldn't take training if they didn't have to, although maybe for some of us uh, in our most aspirational moments, we can provide art and entertainment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to make the effort to help our learners hear the actual beat of the song, so to speak. The actual pulse of the product and, and what's happening. Well, let's go one yeah, step not further. Not just what's in the, the, the subject matter expert's head. Yeah. We have to help them understand and come to their own conclusions. Yeah, you be you to be the judge. <laughs> well, and as a bonus, there's one more thing. There's something else we can learn from videotape. Now again, we'll, we'll try to make a link for this so that you can, you, you can easily Google it. But if you watch the clip, Tom stops playing the song after he can't find that beat. This is what I talked about just a little bit before. This guy is an accomplished musician with a stadium full of fans listening. And instead of trying to fake it, uh, he stops, he's vulnerable, and he starts over. And the lesson there, my friends, is, look, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw up if you're not trying to do new things. This, this is the play of the startup software-as-a-service type mentality, and it should be everybody. You can be vulnerable if you're not trying something new and novel. It doesn't have to mean you're not communicating a video. It can mean a different approach or a schema, a way to present and engage with a customer. We often, as CE professionals, feel like we always have to put our very best on stage. And I'm gonna tell you, one of the coolest things I've ever seen is when I just dropped, like, and again, I go back to the story I told about Twitch. At Azuqua, I decided I'm going to use this different platform. Nobody's ever done this like I'm going to do it. I'm just going to try it and see how it works. And it worked. And it was amazing. And it was a lot of fun. And it was a new and novel way to engage with an audience. But I screwed up quite a few times in doing that until I got it right. Absolutely. We, we have to be 
vulnerable. We have to be unafraid to experiment with new approaches. And that is going to involve failure. It means that sometimes we're going to start the song on the wrong beat, but that's okay. Yes. That doesn't make the audience think any less of Tom, doesn't make us think any less of Radiohead, and it won't make your learners think less of you as long as you're surrounding those occasional missteps with uh, ambition and a quality product. Cool. So, well, this was this was yeah. fun. I, I, we're definitely going to have to make this a tradition. Yeah. I hope uh, listeners enjoyed us just uh, goofing off a little bit and talking about a band that we both care personally about, but also hope that this sparks some lateral or orthogonal thinking around customer education as well. Cool. What's your Radiohead? Go out and find the thing that inspires you in a way that might be uh, a little unconventional. Yeah, try something new, novel. Stick to your roots, but experiment. Try new things. That's the C-Lap way. That's, All right. that's why we always say, educate, experiment, and find your people. But before we say that, because that's our sign-off, um, <laughs> you're probably listening to this in uh, early 2020. So happy 2020, everyone. Happy New Year. We're so happy to have you here in, in the lab with us. I was about to say the C-Lab family, but I think it's actually the, the lab assistants or the, the scientists. We're a team of scientists. Mm-hmm. That's what we all are. Um, we will be moving to releasing monthly for a little while here in the new year. Um, but fear not, we've got some great content coming up. We have some very exciting interviews lined up. And in the spirit of experimentation, some new formats that we haven't tried before. Yeah, it's going to be going to be really fun. So stick with us through through that thick and thin. Uh, evangelize, tell other people. We're, we're going to be interviewing some folks that are maybe a little bit different and and try to try to stretch and push the boundaries. And again, we're hitting both of you as a customer education professional, but we expect a lot of you listening and should be in the customer success space. Whether you're you know testing the waters, you're learning, you're trying to figure out what this thing is, and you may be even further in L and D. We welcome you to the community. We want you to be here. Put in some suggestions. Uh, and, and, and stick with us. We're going to try new stuff. Yeah, and welcome, of course, to our now broad crossover fan base uh, from Radiohead's fandom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you want to learn more about customer education, Radiohead, or whatever, we have a podcast website at customer.education, and there you can find show notes and other material. On Twitter, I am at Avramescu. And I am at Dave Darrington. And once again, special thanks to Alan Coda for our wonderful theme music. Now, again, if this helped you out, please help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice or even leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. We're trying to make this appeal to a broad audience that specifically to understand customer education. Our analytics tell us that most of you listen on Apple Podcasts, so it's very easy to just go in there and leave a review. Exactly. Those two things help us expose our podcast to the world at large. Now, to wrap this up, as we always say to our audience, thanks again for joining us. Have a happy and prosperous new year. And with that, go out, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.